Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians in chapter number three, the book of Colossians in chapter number three, we're marching through. And by the way, we are almost finished. We should be finishing up this book of Colossians, if I remember right, by next week. So next Wednesday will be our last message. So we are at the tail end of it, trying to knock some things out. Remember that the whole idea is that the Apostle Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help prepare a church for an invasion of secret knowledge. A cult is beginning to form. And if the church isn't careful, they're going to start snagging away people and deceiving them. Now, the way to prevent this is not to learn how to argue, not how to have more eloquent words, not trying to figure out how to best curb them in their position to get them to be stumped, not to leave Facebook posts, not to uh, give them a YouTube comment, not to give them a dislike, but it's about us keeping our eyes on God and knowing more about who God is and his person to know him more and more. Now, as we come to chapter three, we're having the application because of our eyes being on the Lord, how does that affect us? We know that there are things that we put on and we put off. That if we keep our eyes on the Lord, we know that we should be filling ourselves with a scripture because you cannot be a spiritual person without first being a scriptural person. We know that if we keep our eyes on the Lord, we will also be thankful people. As we continue with the book of Colossians, trying to keep the context of what's going on, we also see that if we have our eyes on the Lord the way that we ought, we know that there's something else that will be set in order. Notice with me in the book of Colossians chapter number three. The book of Colossians chapter three, and notice with me in verse number 18. The book of Colossians chapter three and verse 18, the Bible says this, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And with this, with our eyes upon the Lord, we can see God gives us something special. And if you don't mind, uh, I don't usually do cute titles, but I think this one's appropriate. We could see here in this passage, God's blueprints for a happy home. God's blueprints for a happy home. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would give us great wisdom and give us great discernment as we tie these thoughts together of keeping our eyes on the Lord and how does it practically affect our home. We're asking that you would give us much wisdom and discernment that we could see what your Bible has to say and understand how to apply these things to our own lives. Give us great wisdom and discernment now and help us to be able to just clearly look at you and take the next step in our lives. 
Thank you, Lord. Fill me with your spirit right now that everything that is done will be pleasing to you and be a help. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, in this passage, the context is keeping our eyes on the Lord. And if we keep our eyes on the Lord, how does that show up practically? Now we can see practically that if our God is in his rightful place, then also our homes will be in its rightful place. Now this is going to be very key, as we were just discussing just a little bit ago before we started the service, that one of the great evidences that a church is following the Lord is that their homes are in order. It's one of the great testimonies. Why? Because we live in a world where everybody else's homes are out of order. And it's getting more and more out of order. May we say that it is very rare for someone to have their house into order. Just because people aren't raised that way and they're not trained that way. We have homes that are very much in distress. And again, we know that we don't start with our homes as much as we do keeping our eyes on the Lord. And if everybody in the home has their eyes on the Lord and following after him, it becomes easier for everyone else to do their part inside of the home. So uh, as we see here, we could see that it's going to give a subject, the person that's being addressed, and their idea of their responsibility as they keep their eyes on the Lord. So look at this. It says, if we have our minds on the Lord, and because we have our eyes on the Lord, husbands love. If we have our eyes on the Lord, and when we have our eyes on the Lord, wives submit. If we have our eyes on the Lord, and because we have our eyes on the Lord, children obey. If we have our eyes on the Lord, and because we have our eyes on the Lord, fathers provoke not. You see, all of this is in context of us keeping our eyes on the Lord. Now, part of the path of having a happy home is this advice. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Don't worry about what others in the home are supposed to be doing. In a message like this, you'll see husbands and wives sitting next to each other. And when it's talking about the husband's love, you could see the wife just giving that good elbow. And then when it says that wives submit, the husband will look at the wife and just stare her down. Mind your own business. Don't worry about what someone else is doing or if they're doing their job well or not. You concentrate, are you doing what you are supposed to be doing? And if everyone minds their own business, you'll find that the path to having a happy home becomes a lot clearer. As we're doing our roles, we need to be doing them to the Lord God, keeping our eyes on him and following after him and being thankful for what God has given us to do. So if you don't mind, let's go through this blueprint of a happy home and see this as God goes through each role in the home and their responsibility. The first thing that we see is wives submit. Wives submit. The word submit is a military term. It means to put the rank under. It's to recognize that someone of higher rank is over you and you willingly submit to that authority. 
We know that submission is for every Christian. It's not just for women. It's for every Christian. Every Christian is required to submit to authority. Every single one of us have authority. God is a God of order and function. Why do we say this? Because some people, the world has made it that if we talk about wives submitting, the world hates that word submit. And the way that they try to define that word submission is that we're, they think that we're teaching that wives have less value than the husband. That is not true at all. It is all about order and function, not about value. You said, are you sure, preacher? Absolutely. Did Jesus Christ submit to God the Father? Yes, he did. Did that mean that Jesus was of lesser value than God the Father? Not at all. Jesus Christ is co-equal, co-existent with God. It is not a matter of value. It is a matter of function and of order. And in order for a house to function correctly, that means that we have a rank and a submission to it. Now remember, submission is all about the heart. There is a difference between compliance and submission. Submission is with our heart. Remember that submission is not in agreement. Submission only comes when we disagree with authority. When we agree with authority, that's unity. That's kind of what we want. Submission only comes when we disagree with authority. That's interesting to note because it's easy to say you're submitted when you agree with authority. But when authority is wrong or you think they're wrong or they want you to do something you don't want to do, that's where submission comes to play. I willingly submit myself. I willingly put myself under that rank. I willingly put myself under that authority. I willingly place myself for the purpose of functioning order into (laughs) what is given to me. This becomes very important. Notice what it says In verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to who? Unto your own husbands. Now, why is this? Because God is putting the husbands in charge. Now, does that mean that the husband gets to tell everyone what to do? No, no, no. This idea of authority carries with it an idea that they're the ones who's going to stand before God and give an account. Wives, it becomes easier when you realize that your husband has to stand before God and give the home, account to the home. That takes a load off. He has to stand before God, so he better run it right. And I just better make sure I don't get in the way of what God has given him to do. But I have to submit for the idea of order and function. Notice as it goes on in verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now we have a qualifier. We have this description. How are we supposed to submit? As it is fit into the Lord. What does that mean? Well, hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. And let's see what the Bible has to say. We're going to look at a couple different passages throughout this message just because this is a subject that's mentioned several times. But notice with me 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3 
And notice with me in verse number one, first Peter chapter three and verse one, likewise ye wives. So once again, same subject, same people have addressed the wives are being addressed. Likewise ye wives, by the way, may I pause when it says likewise, it's saying compared to what? If you ever look at the passage before in first Peter chapter two, it's talking about the example of Christ. Once again, here's the context. As you keep your eyes upon the Lord, likewise ye wives submit be in subjection to your own husbands. If any obey not the word, so here it's giving a scenario of a husband who doesn't want to obey the word, doesn't want to listen, doesn't want to uh, go to church, doesn't want to read the Bible. It says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. How does this work out? Well, Here's a scenario where the authority is wrong. The Bible says, listen, because authority is wrong doesn't mean you don't stop submitting. You still place yourself under the authority of them even if they're wrong. What does this entail? What does this look like? Well, notice the goal here is that they could be one without the word. There's been many of wives who've tried to beat the, take the Bible and beat the guy over the head and they find it does not work. You could beat him until there's a bloody pulp and he's still not going to obey. So how do we win them to the Lord? We win them by the conversations of the wife. The word conversation is an old English expression carrying the idea of a behavior of a life. It's not just the words we say. It is how we carry ourselves. So the husband can be won not by our words and not by beating over the head, but how we carry our life. What does this mean? Well, if my eyes are on the Lord and I'm following after God, it's going to show up practically in my life and others are going to see it. Notice again, verse two, while they, the husbands who are not obedient, behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, which is in the, not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Summarize this. Wives, keep your eyes on the Lord. And as you keep your eyes on the Lord, obey what God has given you to do. And as you obey what God has given you to do and you mind your own business and instead of worrying about God fixing him, you let God fix you. You become obedient to the Lord. You read your Bible. You be faithful in praying. You be faithful to church. And as you follow after God, God is going to change you whether you realize it or not. And the people who live with you know who, what you're like. You could put on a great face at church, but go home and be a totally different person. The husbands will watch you as you follow the Lord and keep your eyes on him and mind your own business. What happens is that if you allow God to work in your life, he's going to look at you and say, there's something different. Now, he probably will go through a couple of phases. The first one is confusion. What's wrong with her? It'll probably get to the place where it won't last. It's just a little phase. She'll get over it. And when she doesn't get over it, then he's going to test it. Let's see if this is real. Poke, 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 poke. Just to see if you're going to be consistent when the flame is on. Now, I'm giving you this to wives that if you have someone that's not obedient, 
be prepared because there's going to be the poking. It's going to get harder before it gets easier, but you have the opportunity to prove that your testimony and walk with God is real, even in trials. That's what proves it. Anyone could look like a good Christian when everything's going well. But when the fire is on, can you still maintain a testimony? When that test is passed, then the guy says, there's something to this. I want to know more about it myself. And it's at that place where he could be one without the Bible, but instead he's won by the testimony of his wife. What is this? There's something real to this. There's something truly evident here. Her God is real, and I want to know that God. See, people are tired of hearing about Christians. They want to meet one. And there's no greater evidence than a changed life to prove that God is real. This is why it's important, wives. You don't worry about the husband. You let God deal with the husband. You worry about making sure you're as right with God as possible. You make sure that you are obedient. You make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to. You strive to be the best wife you possibly can be to help him succeed in what God's given him to do. And you watch God mind his own business and take care of him. Mind your own business and you concentrate. Wives, submit unto your husbands as fit in the Lord. Well, as we go back to Colossians chapter 3, we're not just picking on wives. We're going to hit on everybody tonight. Go back to Colossians chapter 3. And we could see the next person up to bat, verse number 19, husbands love. Husbands love. Now, it's interesting to note that the wife's job is not to love. The wife's job is to submit. The husband's responsibility is to love. Our example is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to follow after what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Christ died on the cross for the church. He died, he gave himself for it. This is that idea of love, that it's a love that cost us something with no hope in return. The husbands have to learn to love their wives even if it costs them something. Now, we'll pause. Part of the problem in homes today is that husbands are selfish. They're 10-year-old boys in adult bodies. All they want to do is play video games. They want to just have fun. They want no responsibility whatsoever. And it feels like the wife now has to raise, if she has three little kids, she has to raise four kids total. Our homes are out of order. We know that. The husband's job is to love even to the neglect of his own self. Now, wives, you thought you had the harder job of submitting. It becomes difficult to love in this way to cost something from yourself with no hope of return. In fact, hold your finger here and let's see what a different passage says and part of this assignment. First Peter chapter three. We were just there for the wives. Let's see what it has to say about the husbands. First Peter chapter three. 
First Peter chapter three. Now it starts off with verse one, likewise ye wives, and it gives the address to the wives. But notice it had that word likewise. It means compared to what we said before. Chapter two, it's talking about Christ. Keeping your eyes on Christ is Christ the example. Wives, submit yourselves. In verse number seven, first Peter chapter three and verse seven, it says, likewise ye husbands. Here it's saying likewise, likewise to what? Not to the wives, but to Christ as our example. Because you keep your eyes on the Lord, likewise you husbands, follow the example of Christ, mind your own business, and husbands dwell with them, who? The wives, according to knowledge. All right? That means husbands, your job is to study your wives, because believe it or not, there will be a test. You'll be tested to see how well you know your wife. You know, I was talking to a married guy who's been married for like 10 years and I asked, what's your wife's favorite color? And he just stared at me. What's your wife's favorite flower? And he stared at me. What's your wife's favorite meal? I think he said something, but I said, is that your favorite meal or hers? And then he looked at me. You understand as a husband, it is your job to know your wife, to know different things about her. For example, you didn't need to know what, what makes her tick. You need to know what fears she has because guys, believe it or not, women have lots of fears and insecurities and you can't just sweep them under the rug. You have to know them and be able to, to, Work with that. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Notice this. This knowledge is also part of giving honor, respect to your wife. You know, some people have got the idea that we teach that husbands are rulers and that wife, you do whatever I tell you. No, 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 no. That's not what it's talking about at all. It's saying, husbands, you have a responsibility to know your wife and to give her honor and respect because of this as unto the weaker vessel, meaning that she is made differently and that you are in charge of making sure her needs are met. Now, here we understand there are two differences or there's a difference between men and women. Partly is what we need to do to feel uh, like our life has meaning. For ladies... Women need security. If they are not secure, they're not going to be enjoying life. Now, ladies, in case you didn't know, men must be successful. They don't care. They can live in a cardboard box and be happy. They need to feel like they're successful, like they've achieving something. Wives, if you're going to help your husband, you have to encourage them to be successful, to achieve things. It's part of your role. But the husbands, you need to know your wives because they have insecurities and know about them and figure out what you can do to make them feel more secure. If they always feel like they're going to lose the house, they're not going to be in a great household. Husbands, if your wife is always afraid they're going to cheat on you, you have to do whatever you can to make sure that illusion is never present. They should always feel secure in that relationship. 
But notice as it goes on, verse 7, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. But notice this, that your prayers be not hindered. Do you know that men can have their prayers hindered because they refuse to do their homework? They refuse to study their wives and know their wives and take care of them? If a husband is so selfish that all he thinks about himself, he's going to find his prayer life is going to be hindered. Why? Because he is ruining that picture of Christ and the way that Christ has asked the home to run and to operate. This becomes a big deal. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Colossians. And let's see what else it has to say about the husband's loving. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, why does the Bible put a great emphasis here of being not bitter against your wives? Why? Because it's very easy to get bitter with your wives. Where does bitterness come from? Unforgiveness. Why does it come from unforgiveness? Because of stubborn pride. How does this work? Well, believe it or not, husbands, it is your responsibility to apologize first. You cannot expect them to come to apologize. And this is where the bitterness comes in. My wife was so, she can't believe she did this. I'm just going to wait for her to come and apologize to me. You're going to be waiting for quite a while. That's not how God has programmed ladies. They feel insecure. They're not ready to come apologize. Husbands, you need to study your wives and make sure that you take the first step to make things right. But it wasn't my fault. Doesn't matter. Your job is to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. You do whatever it takes to make the peace in the home. That is the husband's job. Now you're starting to see it's kind of hard to be the husband's job. That's why you mind your own business. Wives submit, that's pretty hard. Husbands love, that's pretty hard too. Because you're always being tested and you're on assignment. And if you fail the test, it goes badly. But husbands, be not bitter against them. Part of the problems with the, hu- the homes is that husbands allow bitterness and unforgiveness to build up. And they build up against their wife. My wife doesn't do this, and she doesn't do this, and she doesn't do this. And he gets to the place where he's concentrating on her and not looking at the Lord. By the way, aren't you glad that God doesn't put all of our infractions on us and get so mad at us? Because we fail God so often. We have the opportunity to be the example of Christ to forgive someone even if we don't get anything back. We have the opportunity to forgive someone even if they don't deserve it in our eyes. Christ forgave us and husbands have to have that example of forgiving them no matter what. It is easy to build bitterness against the wives. This is one of the things that causes wreck in the relationship. A guy has something in his mind. He just won't let go and he keeps it and he keeps it and he keeps it. And that bitterness grows and then he builds animosity. Now he can't stand being around her and now he can't say anything nice to her. And that home starts getting messed up very badly. Why? Because he didn't do his homework. He didn't make sure that it was apologized first. I understand. I, don't, I want to give a personal testimony, but then I want peace in my home tonight, so I'm going to leave that one alone. But 
it is husband's job to apologize first. Even if you didn't do anything wrong, you need to be a peacemaker. Now again, men are full of pride. I didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) It doesn't matter. You need to get it rings right. If you wait until you finally in the in the wrong to apologize, you're going to have a miserable marriage. All right? Let's say that we switch subjects now. People are happy. Let's go to the next one. What's the next one? Children obey. So now we're covering the household. Remember, everyone has their own responsibility. Wives submit. Husbands love. Children obey. Children obey. We learn a little bit here about obedience. What do we learn? First of all, obedience is to be expected. Children obey. Obedience is to be expected. Here's a question. When should this expectation begin? If obedience is to be expected, when do we expect obedience? When should you start? We get this all the time. At what age do I start correcting my children? That's a valid question. Instead of me giving my opinion, let's just see what the Bible has to say. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to Proverbs chapter 19. Hold your finger. We're turning back to Colossians here in a bit. But let's take a pit stop to Proverbs. Proverbs 19. When is it that we should expect children to obey? Now, I heard all kinds of answers. I once heard someone say, you don't correct little kids. You wait till they're teenagers before you start correcting them. I'm glad that you had the same reaction I did. That's way too late. What is the Bible answer? When do you start correcting children? When do you start expecting obedience? Do you wait till they're 13? Do you wait till they're nine? When do you expect obedience? Well, turn with me, Proverbs 19. And verse number 18. Proverbs 19, 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. Why? When do you start correcting them? When do you start expecting obedience? When there's still hope. Very early. You say, well, that doesn't give a time frame. Okay, Give me just a second. We'll show you a different passage. When do we do it when they're hope? Before they're ruined. Before the disobedience sets in. Before you let the disobedience become habit. If you have a little kid that's hitting mom, that's not good. It's only going to get worse. Years ago, my wife and I were dealing with a family. This mother came in and her eight-year-old daughter would sit at the bus stop and just hit mom and just not a, you know, little taps. I mean, just beating on mom. And mom came in and saw Miss Leah. What do I do about this? Correct that behavior. It will not get better on its own. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's a phase. She'll get over it. No, it did not get better. Now, there was things wrong in the household where the mom loved the dog better than the child, and the child knew that. So is it any wonder that a couple months ago that now older teenage child took a can of hairspray and sprayed it in the dog's face and killed it? Why? Because those things don't get better by itself. 
It doesn't get better. You correct that behavior while there's still hope. You think right now it's a little bit late to start correcting that behavior? While there's still hope. You said, all right, you still did not give us an age. When do we expect obedience? All right, fine. You want an age? Turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 58. Psalm 58. I'm sure someone's going to listen online to this message and just going to love it. This is going to, the greatest message I ever heard. You know how the internet just embraces messages like this? All right, Proverbs chapter 58. Notice with me verse 3. Proverbs 58 verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. When does that little sinner start acting up? Right away. You say, how do you know? Well, I had three of them. So bring them home from the hospital. All of a sudden in the middle of the night, you hear a blood curdling scream. Are you like, all right, wet diaper, diaper pin, stab them. Are you starving? What's going on? You go in there, turn on the light, and they look at you and goo. That little sinner just wanted attention. There was nothing wrong with them. Little liars. You know, I never had to teach my kids a course of how to go to get the Pop-Tarts that I put on the top shelf above the refrigerator and how to take them down and open the package and lick all the frosting and then just set the rest of the Pop-Tart down. I never taught them, but somehow they figured that out. Where? They're sinners from the womb. They're born as sinners. When do I start correcting that behavior? Immediately. You know, the wonderful thing about disposable diapers is they make a big loud sound when you hit the bottom of it. And it, it won't harm the child, but they think they're going to die. You know, boof. Woo! You start correcting that behavior young. People were amazed when I was in Bible college, we lived in a little trailer just because it was what we could afford because we were trying to get out of there quickly. We didn't have a nice house. But I had bookshelves because I love books. Y'all know that. And here's baby Serena with all of my bookshelves and never once pulled down a book. Why? Because mom was on her. And anytime that she started to pull down a book, she was allowed to touch the bookshelf. There was nothing wrong with that. She just couldn't take my book. So people would come in and watch child one and then child two and child three. And they would say, you haven't child proofed your house. Look at all these books. Don't they tear them up? No. But you understand. I mean, three, two, and one. How in the world you take care of them early? They didn't ruin a single book. Can you imagine some of the kids today that are like eight years old taking a bookshelf just for the fun of it? (laughs) Now, again, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm trying to say if we got our eyes on the Lord and doing what God's told us to, one of the evidences that it works is the house in order. It should be a thing that when you have teenagers that you enjoy them and you're not at war with them. Most people can't say that. This is the greatest time of our family's life with our teenagers. We don't want them to go away. Free slave labor. I mean, but 
when do you expect them to obey? Immediately. While there's still hope. There's an expectation of obedience. By the way, why should they obey? Well, turn with me to Colossians. Let's follow this. Why should they obey? <clears throat> Notice with me Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things. Just pause right there before we answer that question. Why they obey? And what things? All. All things. Why? It's a matter of function and order. You submit and obey your parents. Now notice why. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Why should they obey? First of all, because God said so. Why should children obey their parents? Because God said so. Why else should children obey their parents? Because this is right. Why else should children obey their parents? Because it will bring blessing. The Ephesians passage speaks about this. And it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then it also gives the idea or gives the comment that it is the first commandment with promise. Do you know, in you, as you read the Ten Commandments, the very first Ten Commandment that has a promise attached to it is the promise to honor thy father and thy mother. There's a promise attached. Now we know for the Hebrew people, their promise was to have a long life and duration. In the New Testament, the principle is still life, but it's not long life and duration. It is a prosperous, healthy, happy life. Children, you want to have a happy life and with full of blessings? Obey your parents. Now that's pretty simple, isn't it? Now, obedience is to be expected, but let's also do this. Obedience needs to be defined. Obedience needs to be defined. All right, so let's define obedience. Let's carry and make sure everybody's on the same term. First of all, obedience should be immediate. Immediate. Faith obeys. Then the understanding comes. When you give a child something to do, it should be immediate. Immediate. That means if you tell them three times you failed as a parent, it should be once and only once. And it should be immediate, not in five minutes. It's do it now. Immediate. It should be cheerful. Their obedience should be cheerful. We're not going to turn there, but if you write down references, Psalm 40, verse 8, Psalm 40, verse 8, we need to delight to do thy will. Delight to do thy will. It should be cheerful. My parents gave me to take out the trash. Praise the Lord. I'm going to go take out the trash. I'm thankful for this opportunity. You say, well, my teenager's not there yet. Or maybe your teenagers say, I'm not there yet. But yeah, that's where you should be going though. This is what God has given me. I'm going to rejoice in what God has given me to do. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Obedience should be complete. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. They should do everything that is asked of them. Not pick and choose. It should be complete. As we're speaking about this, children obey your parents, we see that obedience is to be expected immediately, right away, uh, while there's still hope. Obedience needs to be defined. It needs to be immediate. It has to be cheerful. It needs to be complete. We see one more thing about obedience. Obedience must be 
implemented. Obedience must be implemented. The responsibility to getting the child to obey is the parent's job. Now, we could explain to a Christian child they should obey in the Lord, it's right, and they should choose to obey. But if they don't choose to obey, we don't go, well, they chose not to obey. No, no, no. Parents, your job is to make sure they obey. That is your job as a parent. Your job. Every child should be trained to obey. Let me give you an idea of logic. The Bible says that children are to obey because it's the first commandment with promise, right? There's blessings attached to obedience. So parents, if you did not train your children to obey, you robbed them from blessings. You stole from your child blessings. Do you think that's a serious charge when you stand before God? Absolutely it is. To steal from your child blessings they could have had. No child obeys on their own. You have to train them to obey and it is work. But you must do it. And get them to the place where they, they obey willingly. That's the goal is for them to obey willing. But until then, you have to implement it. You have to do your job and teach them to obey. You can't skip this step because you're going to hurt that child. You're robbing that child. By the way, any church where we see the children are disobeying, it shows that there's something wrong somewhere. But if we're looking at God and God is in his rightful place, it's going to be evidenced in the homes being in order. This is a big deal. We have one more uh, group of people that's being addressed here. Wives submit. Husbands love. Children obey. And then we have fathers provoke not. Fathers provoke not. Notice as it goes on. Fathers provoke not your children to anger. Lest they be discouraged. The word provoke carries the idea to rouse to anger or to fight. It says provoke not. Don't get, your plate, don't get to the place where you've poked them so much where they're ready to fight where they're ready to fight back at you. Notice this, lest they be discouraged. The word discouraged here carries with the idea of disheartened or to have their spirit broken. Fathers, provoke not your children anger lest they be discouraged. You know a father has such control and such power. A parent is what's actually referred here. A parent, you can cause your children to lose their spirit, to be discouraged, to be at the place where they're just going to not succeed in life by the actions of the parent. How can this dishearten? How can this spirit be broken? How can we cause our children to be ready to fight? This can occur in four ways. There are four ways that a parent can provoke their kids to anger, to discourage, to break their spirit. The first way, unfair treatment unfair treatment. If you are not consistent and fair with the treatment, it's a way to really provoke and dishearten them. If you need an example of that, go back to the book of Genesis and see how Jacob treated each of his kids differently. 
And it caused a lot of problems in that household because of unfair treatment. What's another thing? Unkind words. There's that old adage, which is one of the biggest lies of all of history. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It's a big lie. Parents, your words carry weight. You will either build up your child or tear them down with your words. If you tell them they could accomplish anything, guess what? You're right. If you tell them they'll never amount to anything, guess what? You're right again. Your words build them up or tear them down. We know that we live in a time of great distress of mental health. And when you go back, you could see a lot of it goes back to their parents. My parents didn't believe in me. My parents never led me to do anything. My parents didn't allow me to cook. My parents didn't allow me to wash clothes. They couldn't even trust me. You understand that becomes a big weight. Train your kids to succeed. But your words carry a lot of weight too. I understand that there's the old cowboy way of doing things where you don't express your feelings, but you kids need to know that you love them and they need to hear you say it. We don't use the word proud, but you need to be able to express to them, I'm thankful to the Lord for you. I'm so thankful that you did good in your play. I'm thankful you did good on a test. I'm so pleased that you were, was obedient to me and did the dishes. You need to use your words wisely because if you're always telling them how they're failures, it will kill them. It will break that spirit. You need to work with them. Unkept promises, number three. Unkept promises. You need to do your best to keep your word. We understand there are times that you promise something and something jumps in the way. We understand that, but that should be an exception, not the rule. You need to keep your promises. You need to keep your word. If you said you're going to do something, do it. They need to never doubt in their mind that if they ask for help, that you're going to show up. That if they need something, you're going to be available. Unkept promises. Keep your word. Then the worst one, number four, inconsistent example. Do as I say, not as I do. Inconsistent example. You understand that people learn our inconsistencies. They learn our idiosyncrasies more than they learn what we actually tell them. They watch our example. If you won't obey the Bible, why in the world should they obey the Bible? If you don't like the preacher, why should they like the preacher? If you don't like church, why should they like church? They learn from you. If you don't like reading your Bible, why should they like reading their Bible? If you complain about going to church, expect them to complain about going to church. You don't get necessarily what you want or reproduce necessarily what you want. You reproduce what you are. Listen, children could be hypocrites themselves, but they could spot hypocrisy a mile away and they hate it. They could smell it out. It bothers them. If you have a parent that acts super spiritual and they are not, children will smell that out 
And it will dishearten. It will make them fight. It will make them so they won't obey. It destroys their faith. It is so damaging. Fathers, and you could insert the idea of parents, provoke not your children to anger. Don't poke at them. Be consistent. You have the walk that you ought to be. You be the example that you ought to be. You follow with it. You say, well, I've got so many bad habits. Then fix them. Let me tell you, if you want a good testimony with your kids, you're not expected to be perfect. But as long as you're growing in Christ, they can trust you. Amen. If they can watch as you make changes and you make decisions and you put things in your life, they could, they could follow someone like that. Kids are pretty forgiving. They're not expecting perfection, but they are expecting consistency. They're not expecting perfection, but they're not expecting hypocrisy. Fathers provoke not. Now, all of this is in the context of keeping our eyes on the Lord, following after Him, minding our own business, Making sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. No, keeping my role, keeping what I'm supposed to do. And if I do what I'm supposed to do, and they do what they're supposed to do, you know what happens? You have a happy household. You have a household that is running correctly. You have a household that is a great testimony to a world that is desperately looking for this. But we have to do our role. We have to obey what God's given us to do. What is it? Wives submit. Husbands love. Children obey. Fathers provoke not. How is your home? Would you classify it as a happy home? What you can do is make sure that first of all our eyes are on the Lord. And we may not be able to do something about a spouse, but we can make sure that we're right with God. Children, you can't do anything about your parents, but you can make sure that you're right with God. Minding your own business and following after. Now, of course, we have plenty of single people in here. You know what this message is good for? You making decisions that you're going to have a house like this. Making sure that you have the roles correct, that you're already practicing these things, and that you've already decided this is the type of home that you're going to have. And again, it doesn't start with the home. It doesn't start with the father. It starts with looking at Christ. Keeping our eyes on Him. That makes all the difference. Keeping our eyes on Him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available.
Thank you.